I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source and pro power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pot of thunder and rock and roll and the home of the highly anticipated, much appreciated, Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you from uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I hope everybody's doing great. Listen, my daughter uh, just told me she saw a deer on the way to school. I said, how did you know the uh, deer was on its way to school? Thank you very much. Goodbye. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Duff delivers always, sometimes with laughs and sometimes with groans, but he delivers every single Friday and has for almost six years now. Even while he's touring the States with Guns N' Roses, they're out until mid-October. Tickets at GunsNRoses.com. Fozzie heading back out as well. Spotlight on North America starts October 19th in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We wrap this leg up November 6th in Memphis, Tennessee. Go to FozzieRock.com to see all the dates and for all ticket information. And of course, we're doing our famous VIP meet and greet. It's the best in the business. We meet you, take pics, play a private set for you, even let you sing. All right. Go to FozzieRock.com to get your tickets. And today on the show, one of my favorite topics in the world, the Loch Ness Monster. We've got Paul Nixon. He's the general manager of the Loch Ness Center in Inverness, Scotland. You know what that means? Like I said, talking about one of my favorite things, Nessie. The Loch Ness Center just hosted the biggest hunt for Nessie in some 50-odd years, and they hope this is the start of an annual tradition. Paul talks about the hunt, what inspired it, and what they found. He details the history of Nessie sightings from the one in the 30s that happened on the site that is now the center to the more recent ones from the last few years. We get into the infamous surgeon's photo and how it was revealed to be a hoax. Talk about the many theories surrounding what Nessie might be, including a plesiosaur, giant eel, a sturgeon, an interdimensional being, even an elephant. <laughs> That's right, an elephant. Paul shares details about the lake itself, its size, depth, the strong currents, and the rumors about underwater tunnels connecting it to the ocean. Give it a listen, learn about the lake and the lock, the Loch Ness Monster, and decide for yourself right here, right now. Paul Nixon, talking Nessie. On Talk is Jericho. Anybody that knows me knows that I am a uh, fanatic for the Loch Ness Monster and all things Lake Monsters. And there's some huge news on the Lake Monster front, especially with Loch Ness. 
Uh, Paul Nixon is here, the general manager of the Loch Ness Centre. I'm assuming you're uh, in Scotland right now as we speak. Yeah, you could be deceived because the sun's shining on me and what? that's Scotland. So what's that all about? I couldn't believe it. I thought maybe it was one of those things where you have an, another background on <laughs> and you're sitting in front of it. But <laughs> but it, it, huge news right now. Um, obviously, it's the biggest, I don't know if you're going to call it hunt, but the, the, the biggest uh, hunt, let's say, for Nessie in 50 years. Give us a little bit of a background of what's going on right now, Paul, sure. up there, and, and why now? Why why are we doing this right now, and what's kind of going on? Yeah, sure. So we we took over this fantastic building called the Loch Ness Center on the side of Loch Ness. It's the former Drum the Rocket Hotel, and back in 1933, the hotel manageress at the time called Aldi Mackay comes running into the hotel, claiming that she's seen a beast. And really, that's what sparks this massive thing that we've all come to know as this Loch Ness phenomenon. And the media got hold of it, and there was a bit of a frenzy, and and the story went global. Well, it's been 50 years since the last big quest, the big hunt for Nessie took place. Um, so we're talking about back in the 70s, where technology was a little bit more limited than it is today. So we thought, well, it's about time we um, opened the can back up on Nessie and use some of their latest technology to find out what this mystery is, what's down there, what's going on. So we reached out to a global audience and we had interests from New Zealand. We've had Japanese people here. We had Americans, Canadians, Spanish, French, German, Italians, uh, all descend on the banks of Loch Ness to take place in the largest surface watch in 50 years. It's interesting, too, because like you said, obviously, these, these sightings have been going on for years. We all know about the, the ones in kind of the 30s and 40s. And then you kind of go back to 1800s and you know medieval times and that sort of thing. I guess just to kind of start, has there been sightings recently uh, over the past couple decades? Yeah. So um, there's been some really exciting stuff. And in fact, the most recent sighting, one that's literally just gone out in the papers now, was was only from 2019. So just a couple of years ago. Uh, and this person sat on these photos. It's some fantastic footage of something rolling around in the water on the banks of Loch Ness. But we can't figure out what those are. It's not obvious what they are from the pictures. So again, these sightings have happened over the centuries. Um the last sort of big one before that was in 20, well, sorry, there was one in 2020, which was a sonar scan. So this was taken on a boat as it sailed over something. It detected an object the size of sort of a school minibus, that sort of size underneath them in the water. When they went back, it's not there, but it's a real contact. So this is happening all the time, which is what makes the Loch Ness phenomenon such an exciting uh, story. You know, I, I went to uh, Inverness. We were wrestling up, I think, in Aberdeen or Edinburgh, probably about 10 years ago. So I, I, I rented kind of a, a sprinter van and took some of the guys and girls up to Loch Ness. And we did the tour and, and rode uh, on the on, on the big steam steamship type thing on the lake. It was funny, though, because we went to one museum. It wasn't yours. I, I don't think it was yours. And it was more of like uh, we were expecting like for them to tell us all of the great sightings, but they were doing the opposite. They were telling us like, well, there couldn't be anything in the in the lake because the lake and the loch is 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 pure. It was all about the loch, and I was like, if I wanted to hear about the loch and the lake, I have a lake right outside my backyard. We want to hear oh, about man. the legend behind it. So I just remember thinking, like, this seems kind of an anticlimactic version of what <laughs> you want to see when yeah. you're on the the, the shores. I, I would assume that yours. A center is a little bit more uh, Nessie-based. 
Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. We're not a Nessie's a big green monster swimming around right, in the right. box of Loch Ness. That, that's not us. That's not what we're about. We're really here as, as guardians pretty much of the story. So as I said, because that actual first documented sighting, our modern day sighting, the Aldi Macau, happened right here at the building. We, we, we sort of have built the exhibition around that, but we talk about just how majestic the Scottish Highlands are, how beautiful they are, how big and deep the lock is. We recreate that magic moment that Aldi Mackay comes into the bar. And then we do talk a bit about the science that's happened because there's quite a lot of research that's been done on the water over the years about, you know, DNA testing. And um, there's been a big a deep scan where they cast a sonar curtain and sailed a fleet of boats up and down the loch. And so we talk about them. But really, we ask our guests to decide what they think's down there. We're not we're not about killing the Loch Ness monster here. About it, it can't be real. Of course, there's possibilities there. And regardless of what you believe, there's so many unexplained sightings right. that, that actually just adds to the magic and mystery of this place. Well, and that, that's the thing to me, and we'll delve into all this, but to me, it's like, you know, there's a monster in the lake, and is it is it technically a plesiosaur that came through from the ocean on underground tunnels? I mean, who knows? But if you have, I don't know, a 75-pound sturgeon uh, in the lake it, and it swims up beside you, that's pretty much a monster. <laughs> I don't think... Uh, I think that's what the fishermen would call it, definitely, if they caught that. <laughs> right, you know what I mean? So so there's a lot of different theories and thoughts, but let's go back to what's going on right now with, with this this investigation. So you mentioned that there's the, the 100 people or so or whatever, maybe dozens and dozens of people on, on the shorelines. What exactly is everybody doing to try and kind of get some more clues scientists, laymen, and everybody in between. Okay, so the surface watch is literally people armed with their mobile phone. I mean, if you go back 50 years, no one had a mobile phone. No one could take an instant picture. So we've got all that that eyes, that technology out there. So we've also sent them out packs to say, look, if you're looking at something that looks like a a tree bobbing around in the water, it's probably a tree. So there's lots of mistaken identities that people go, actually, this is a monster. No, it's just a tree. So uh, we've, we've educated the team uh, of volunteers with that. Uh, in terms of new technologies, uh, we've had a production company flying some thermal imaging drones over Loch Ness. So that's pretty exciting stuff. And they're hoping to release that footage in uh, November as part of their show. So we've got some real cutting edge tech going in. Uh, and also we were dropping hydrophones down off the side of our boat about a depth of 60 feet and that has detected some pretty interesting noises that just haven't been heard before. And that that's opened up a new line of inquiries for us. We've got some unfinished business there and we need to get to the bottom of what was causing these underwater noises, as I say, about 60 feet down in depth. But when we went back to the same spot, the noises had stopped. So whatever was making those noises had moved on or stopped making those noises, but they were definitely real noises. All the witnesses on the boat heard them. Hmm. Um, that's quite exciting for us. When you're talking about noises, like, like, is this something, once again, talking to people who might not understand the exact technology of it, noises is something in the water that's causing the, the, the actual water to move a certain way? Are they making actual sounds like whales? Like It's, it's an audible sound. So if you imagine, uh, if you're in the bathtub and you clap your hands, you can hear that noise under the water. It sounds very muffled and different. So, we picked up um, glooping noises, um, staggered glooping noises on the bottom, well, as I say, at, at depth down here. So something was making these noises. Now, 
let's be serious. That that could be gas escaping from something that's decomposing on the on the bottom of the lock. That it could be, you know, a very plausible explanation. But the fact is, we we don't know that. We 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 haven't proven that. We haven't disproven that. So uh, we we want to find out what was causing these noises. All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Amigas, see, already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. I saw some new photographs that were just released recently. Um, You know, something that's very much on the top of the water. Maybe those are the ones that were just from 2019 or so. Like you said, somebody was holding on to these pictures because they didn't want to be, I don't know, ridiculed or whatever it may be. So do you find that there might be a lot of people, even after all these years of of Nessie sightings, that might not want to come forward if they have something because they don't want people to throw stones at them? Yeah. And in fact, if you... you We've, we've got interview footage from Aldi Mackay that was taken, I think, in the 1980s. And she actually said, look, when I went into the bar and told the, everyone that I'd seen the beast, I didn't want my name associated with that. I didn't even want my business associated with that. It hmm. wasn't about publicity. It wasn't about tourism. It wasn't about marketing Loch Ness. She was a genuine, reasonably educated lady that came into the bar and said, I've just seen a beast in the water. So... Yeah, who who knows who else might be shy, might be not wanting to put themselves forward to say, I've got something, I've seen something. How did you get involved at such a high capacity with this? Uh, this is my job. So yeah. I, I get paid to be here on the banks of Loch Ness <laughs> and to, to talk to hundreds of thousands of people every day that, that could drive past tourists from all corners of the world. And what's great is that they've all come here knowing the story of Loch Ness, they all come here thinking that there's a monster or something in this body of water that that no one's quite fully explained or seen. So this is fantastic. So are you from the area? Uh, No, not originally. No, Uh, I work for an attraction, tourist attractions group. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I'm not even Scottish, but I remember (laughs) my first... uh, my first understanding of the Loch Ness Monster was when I was a young boy, I was given a coloring book and one of the pictures to color in was the Loch Ness Monster. So out comes the green pen and color in this big green dinosaur. And, and yeah, but that story sits with you. It sits with you right the way through to, to forever. 
When I was a kid, I, my grandparents lived uh, on Lake Okanagan in Kelowna, BC. And of course, that's Canada's version of Nessie, which would be the Ogopogo. And was very much terrified of the thought of Ogopogo. And I can remember even being on, on, on Okanagan, you know, fishing with my grandpa on his boat. And he knew I was freaked out by, by Ogopogo and said that Ogopogo like baloney and threw baloney into the lake. <laughs> And I was convinced that like the, the, the monster was going to come and like eat my grandfather and then knock the boat over and I'd be <laughs> the next one dead. So I've had this kind of a little bit of a phobia about lake monsters ever since then. Yeah, you're not the only one. I mean, we, we got asked questions like what insurance if we take connect to safeguard the volunteers, if we stir the right. monster, if someone gets eaten by the monster, you know, what, what are we doing <laughs> to protect the population from... I don't know, Godzilla 2 that's lurking down there or something, but who knows? Maybe it's a vegetarian. I don't know. <laughs> but that's the mind's eye, though. You know, because like you mentioned, like I, I do remember going to the merch stand or the merch shop, the, the, the souvenir shop on the, on the side of the lake, and all of these images are of this evil, <laughs> yeah. you know, like I said, dinosaur, like this plesiosaur that's down there just lurking to kill every human around. And of course that's never, never been documented. That's ever happened, but let's talk about some of the, the more famous sightings. I'm sure that people ask you about them all the time and you can go online and look at pictures modern, of course, you know, going back to the thirties with the surgeons photograph, I kind of want to delve into some of those stories right now that you know of. Sure. Well, I, again, I suppose since that, that spark back in the 1930s, there have been, photos that people haven't been able to explain. And also there have been hoax photos. Let's be very honest about that. People have staged photographs. Um, our exhibition talks about someone finding footprints in the mud at the side of Loch Ness. And if you come to the show here, you can find out exactly what caused those footprints, but it, it wasn't the Loch Ness Monster on that particular occasion. So yeah, there's some pretty iconic stuff, as you've already said there, the surgeon's photo, but then once um, once they started delving into the depths of Loch Ness, they've got all these underwater photos of murky things. Like one's been proven to be like a tree stump that, that's coming out of the silt, but it, it has that silhouette and, and and shape that, you know, the plesiosaur shape with the long neck sticking out there. So it, it is getting quite difficult to distinguish between what's a real photo and what's a fake photo. And, and what's a mistaken identity. But yeah, there, there's quite a lot out there. Um, you, you know, you just need to Google some of them and you can see just how good some of these fakes actually are. Well, the, the one you talk about is, is the famous image of Loch Ness that you'll see, you know, uh, on In Search Of or the cover of books or magazines. And it's it's the famous black and white picture with with the neck yeah. of Nessie coming out. And, and then, of course, we've referred to it as the surgeon's photograph because a, a surgeon, yes. a doctor yeah. apparently took that. And that's now been proven to be a hoax, correct, Paul? Yeah, that's right. Unfortunately, it's probably one of the, it's the most famous hoax photo I think that I know of. I think it, it sort right. of trumps some Area 51 photos that I've seen and things <laughs> like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's been a fake. But actually, uh, it was revealed a fake as a deathbed confession. So it managed to maintain its false identity right the way through till someone who knew better confessed it on a deathbed. So a really fascinating story behind that one. Do we ever know why that was ever done just to get some attention or? Uh, if you delve a little bit into the ancestry of that, that family that hoaxed that photo, uh, you'll come across a character somewhere along the line called Marmaduke Weatherall. Uh, and he was 
very much in he was he was he was a game hunter so uh, he, he had his safari hat on and his safari shirts and he, he's been photographed with a monkey on his shoulder so he's quite a character and we talk a lot about him and and his involvement in the project and he he was brought up here to capture the Loch Ness monster mm. and and that that photo in a roundabout way is connected to his line have you met people that that have stories of seeing seeing the monster Every day. I mean, uh, there's a guy that lives on the beach at the north side of Long right. Ness, Steve. Uh, he's, a, he's an independent Nessie hunter. He's, he lives in a cabin. His life has been dedicated pretty much to finding the Loch Ness Monster. And he'll tell you stories about in his first year, him seeing something in the water going against the flow, causing splashes in water wakes. You'll speak to Steve. You'll speak to other people in the area. And these are genuine, you know, these are Right. You know, I've spoken to lawyers, accountants, policemen, uh, forestry workers, water bailiffs, boat skippers, all claiming that they've seen something in the water, claiming that they, they can't explain what they've seen. And they're not they don't all come and say, I've just seen a big green head sticking out. And and that it's not that it's a lot more subtle than that. But they they are convinced that they've seen something that is not easily explainable is probably how I would best phrase it. No, and another thing that's interesting too, when when we were there, just talking about the the water in in the lock and how how murky it is uh, in this lake. Yeah, uh, explains a little bit of that about how hard it is to actually try and put I don't know sonar or cameras deep down into the water. Yeah, uh, because of how murky it is. Yeah, well, I mean, firstly, its volume is twenty three miles in length, so it's this huge body of water. It's surrounded by moorland, so. The water around here is quite peaty, so it's got that brown sort of tea color to it. So the moment you start going down to any depth, the light disappears really, really quickly. And again, when you speak to some of the scientists that have conducted experiments, one of the early experiments they did was that rather than look down into the depth, they anchored cameras on the bottom shining up at the silhouette of the surface. So you could you were using the light of the sun to capture anything that was traveling over your head. So that allowed you to see a little bit more, but pretty much you only have to go down a few meters, a few feet, and, and you're pretty much in total darkness down there. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty spooky in that sense. And of course, that also makes it very hard to see anything down there, you know, very dark. And like you mentioned, like, you know, there's so much sediment and, and, and peat, moss. Yeah. That, uh, you know, just to, to put your hand under the water kind of disappears very quickly yeah yeah by the time you stuck your whole arm in you, if you're standing there waist or chest deep you probably you won't see your feet you know it's it's that sort of it did the light just disappears straight away as you as you start to go down there so uh yeah anything that anything that you want to see with the with the human eye you have to chuck a ton of light down there and then you're only really seeing you know just what's right in front of your face so it's a really difficult task trying to figure out what what could be lurking down there how deep is the lock? It's uh, 227 meters deep. So to visualize that, did you see Edinburgh Castle on your travels uh, when you were over here? Yeah. So basically, yeah. Edinburgh Castle sits on a, a volcanic hill, and that would disappear twice in the depths of Loch Ness. So that's a, a huge uh, chasm of water. In fact, the entire world's population would fit inside Loch Ness. So this, that's the sort of really? volume of water we're talking about. Yeah, it's just, Huge because obviously it's 23 miles long, it's not that wide, you know. You can see the other side of it quite easily, but it's just that depth it drops down to there. And just for those of you who aren't on the metric system, 227 meters is about 750 feet, so 
Think about that, 23 miles long and 750 feet deep. And you say the entire world's population could fit in into, yeah. into the area. Yeah. All right, so I'm like 10 and 0 when it comes to snagging the last delicious factor meal in my house before the new weekly delivery arrives. We all love factors ready to eat meals here in the Jericho household. They're fresh, never frozen, chef crafted and dietitian approved. And best of all, they're ready to eat in just two minutes. Eating better has never been easier or more delicious. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including calorie smart, protein plus and keto. So before I jumped on the plane to get the dynamite this week to wrestle Atlantis Jr., I had grilled steakhouse filet mignon with Parmesan cream, spinach and broccolini. Two minutes to heat it up ate it right out of the factory container, and then tossed it in the garbage. Fast, easy, and delicious. No prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. You can fuel up with Factor's restaurant-quality meals, too. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. You can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime, and Factor is less expensive than takeout. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com TIJ50. And use code TIJ50 to get 50% off. That's code TIJ50 at factormeals.com slash TIJ50 to get 50% off. Is it true that there is, or at one point, or could have been some sort of like underwater tunnels to lead to the ocean? Okay, so uh, again, that's really exciting stuff that it's not been heavily documented, although... It was published uh, just a few weeks ago that a tourist, not a tourist, sorry, a local that had moved out of the area came back to Loch Ness because they think they know the location of some tunnels, some underwater tunnels that can link Loch Ness either to the sea or to some of the other loch systems because the Loch Ness forms part of the Great Glen, which is like a long chain of of lochs. Um, Mm. And they've said that they found this cave system in a remote part of the banks of Loch Ness. They haven't disclosed the exact location because it's on private land and it's quite inaccessible. And what they don't want is a load of people trying to traipse down there and and, and get to it. But there have been reports of tunnel systems under the water that go under the water of Loch Ness. So again, all this is just hype, you know, feeding the imagination that 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 could be the home of Nessie. That could be where, where it lives. And that's why we can't see it all the time. That's just one of the theories. Well, I mean, it's it's so amazing, like all of the, you know, first of all, we talk about the pomp and circumstance of the legend and, and all the sightings, but it's, you couldn't have picked like a creepier lake <laughs> to be on because, you know, like, like once again, the, the size of it, I mean, you're talking about, I'm just looking here, 263 billion cubic feet of water that's pitch black because of, of the peat. And you mentioned the cloudiness too. Yeah. And then of course, the, the fact that, um, it also says that it never freezes. Yeah, that's right. It sort of sits at about a five-degree temperature at depth um, there. So, uh, yeah, warm water rises, cold water sinks down, but it, it doesn't It doesn't form that frozen layer on it or anything. So, yeah, it's uh, a mystery. And then you can talk about the, 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 the castle, the, the house on the side that was owned by Aleister Crowley, that was then bought by Jimmy Page. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, you could probably write every different story in history, and it would some have some links to something on the banks of Loch Ness. It's 
it's quite insane in that sense. But th- this this legend has gone back to like even like almost biblical times, right? Like, yeah, I think- Saint Columba was the first documented sighting. Saint Columba came, and the text says that he banished a water beast. Um, so he sent one of his followers out onto Loch Ness to get a boat, uh, and as they were swimming out, a beast rose up in Loch Ness and. Sent Columba, Rose's staff with the power of God and said, go back, um, you go back, don't, don't touch the man, go back. And the beast then disappeared. So, we, you know, that, that's in a religious text. That, that's, that's the earliest text reference we've found to, uh, to a beast being in Loch Ness. But then it kind of all goes a bit quiet and it all goes, dies down until that 1933 Aldi Mackay sighting. But that, that really makes Loch Ness a global sensation. I guess that might be too kind of more of the modern, like you said, the modern technology where now word can get around. Uh, you know, there's there's a few pictures here and there now, you know. Um, so I think, once again, when the world opens up through modern media, that's kind of when you can hear more about the about the monster. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's crazy going back to 1933 where really it was newspaper and probably radio that, you know, some some lady in a little hotel on the banks of some, you know, loch in Scotland suddenly gets a story that goes right the way around the globe. Um, you know, I'm not saying it goes around quite as quickly as news travels uh, in today's era, but still that story got every corner of the globe. So when we start kind of delving into some of the theories, and I'm sure you get this quite often too, we've talked a few things about a plesiosaur or a sturgeon or something along those lines. What, what, what kind of theories uh, of, of what could actually be in this lock? Uh, do you want the obscure stuff or do you want the probably a little bit more um, same stuff? <laughs> Give us both. Give us both. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard theories that a portal at, to another dimension exists within Loch Ness. So what people are seeing when they see the Loch Ness monster isn't in fact an animal of some sort in the water. It's actually a window to another dimension. So that that's really out there. That That's a, a big theory. I'm not sure how you prove or disprove that one at the moment. But um, I've heard the same thing about about like a Sasquatch and Bigfoot yeah, that are actually from another dimension. That's why they disappear and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. time shifting, whatever. So yeah, right. I mean, there's those sort of theories. I, I think most of the sort of hardcore people that have dedicated their lives now are, are, are steering more towards it being more of the fish variety of something, maybe a big eel, maybe a big catfish, maybe a big sturgeon. I mean, if you think back to stories like the giant squid, we thought the giant squid was extinct, that, you know, they'd been wiped out, but we found giant squid in, in our lifetimes Um you know, uh, alive and well in the sea. So the the idea that it could be a big something that we already know like that could be down there. So I think that's probably where most of the, the sort of more serious searches are, are aiming at. But who knows? I mean, who knows? You mentioned uh, a, a giant eel. I mean, is that something that even exists in, in our world? Like how, how big can an eel get? Um, well, we, we definitely know that there are eels in Loch Ness. So we found eels, we've seen eels, there's eel DNA in Loch Ness. So I guess when you tie that up with some of the sightings and the photos and the eyewitness statements, if someone has seen an eel, 
given the size, you know, some people, when they describe Nessie, they've said, I've seen six foot of neck. I've seen something, you know, that long. So that's got to be a pretty big eel, doesn't it? If, if, the, if that's what they're seeing down there. But uh, I, I couldn't tell you how big the biggest eel in the world is. I think we need to Google that one. But uh, <laughs> but something of that sort of, you know, six feet of length plus, you know, if it was an eel. Could be a seal because we do know that there are mammals in there. But mammals have to surface to breathe. So I think we'd see it a bit more, you know, like a whale or something. We'd, we'd probably see that a bit more frequently surfacing. But fish don't necessarily have to surface, do they? They don't need to breathe there. So I guess that's why a lot of the sort of theories are pointing more towards fish because they can stay down under the water for much longer. There's a, a, a famous TV show here that was called River Monsters. Yeah. And the host was a guy called Jeremy Wade. You might have heard of it. He went looking for, Loch, for the Loch Ness Monster. And when, when he found um, uh, his, his hypotheses, shall we speak, was that it was a Greenland shark yeah. that had come from you know one of these underwater tunnels it's a very low bottom feeding sharks shall we say yeah. you know and that's sort of a thing so do you think there's some sort of merit to to these tunnels that could lead to other bodies of water yeah absolutely but don't get me wrong you can sail a boat from the east of scotland through loch ness and come out on the west of scotland so this, this there hmm. is a canal this water system links one side of the ocean to the other side of the ocean. So, you know, you can sail a boat that way, a fish could swim that way, but it has to go through, you know, a series of locks, some rivers, some, you know, um, some obstacles in its way. But but in terms of a, the water itself does flow right the way, the full width of Scotland. You know who's living large at my house? My three cats, Mr. Mittens, Indy, and Snickers. And you know why? Because we switched them to Pretty Litter. Okay, so it's really me and my wife and my daughters who are living large, thanks to Pretty Litter. Because Pretty Litter's ultra-absorbent crystals trap odor instantly, so no more bad cat smells in the bathroom. Pretty Litter crystals last up to a month, so less cat litter box cleaning for all of us. And less fighting about whose turn it is to clean the litter box. I gotta deal with this fight every single week between my daughters. This makes it so much easier. Pretty Litter also ships right to our front door, so no more last-minute mad scramble runs to the store because we're out of kitty litter. And Pretty Litter has another cool feature that makes life just a little easier. It helps us keep tabs on our cat's health. It changes colors so you can monitor early signs of potential illnesses like urinary tract infections and kidney issues. It's easily the best thing we've done for ourselves and our cats in a very long time. Like I said, Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. Those are two big wins in my house, meow. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. So go to prettylitter.com slash Jericho and use code Jericho to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash Jericho. Code Jericho to save 20%. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Talk about uh, like the, the Yercourt Castle, which of course is the famous castle that's on the side of, of, of one of the banks there. Another very creepy looking, uh, uh, you know, uh, monument, shall we speak? What exactly is that, and, and what and what connection does that have to, to Nessie? So Eckert Castle, the banks of Loch Ness, is the one you see on all your postcards. It's your picture-perfect yeah. Scottish ruined castle on the banks of Loch Ness. And yeah, I've been, been home to different Scottish clans over the years. But one theory that, that sort of ties it to the Loch Ness story is that one hypothesis is that there's a cave underneath the castle and that's Nessie's lair. That's where Nessie lives. I think that's quite a, a romantic story that was that was once spun. But I think 
the the water in front of that castle is is parts of the deepest bits of Loch Ness. So it's quite it lends itself well to the mystery. And and I guess because it's a tourist hot spot, because a lot of people come and see it, I guess that's probably why we get more claimed sightings of Nessie in that area. If you go to some of the other more remote parts of Loch Ness, surprisingly not as many people around there say they've seen anything, but we get that high concentration of visitors to Urquhart Castle. So probably why. So how important is is Nessie to the area? Because you mentioned too, like obviously there's a huge tourism side to this. And, you know, people like me that, that believe there's something in there want to come. Like, dude, I was so scared being on that ship in the middle of the ocean or the middle of the lake because it's a huge lake yeah. and there's the big yeah. mountains are right beside it. You feel like you're just this little wee little, little <laughs> chip here. You know, and, and there's people that probably have no interest in it whatsoever. And there's people that are, you know, that want to kind of explore for themselves. Is it kind of a, one of the, the top tourism attractions in, in the entire country? Yeah, I reckon, you know, everyone that I, every tourist, regardless of whether they believe in Nessie or not, A, wants to know whether I've seen the Loch Ness Monster, and then B, wants to know how they get to the Isle of Skye. So literally, in in visiting Scotland, that the rankings go, I need to see Loch Ness, and I need to go to the Isle of Skye. And it's that sort of thing. So it's got that... Um, that that appeal you know we do about one one and a half million visitors come to the banks of Loch Ness and you get a whole mixture of skeptics cynic Nessie believers but but everybody has half an eye on the water when they're going up and down the side going maybe I'm going to see something maybe I'll be the next person and even the even the biggest cynics in the world that I've spoken to I know that they're they're going along the side of Loch Ness sort of looking thinking I might see something here it's that possibility well it's one of those things too like listen you can't have, I don't know, a thousand sightings and have everything be completely normal. Like just the law of averages says that at least, you know, one out of a hundred of these would have some sort of, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire type thing to it. Yeah. And again, that, that's what Steve Feltman, who I say lives on the banks of Loch Ness. He's had this one sighting in year one. And I think it's like 30 odd years or more later, he's not seen anything else, you know, but he's, you know, he claims to be a very patient man and, you know, maybe he's just not that good at looking anymore, but uh, <laughs> who knows who's going to see it next. So we're talking about the, uh, we, about this this whole search that's going on. How long is it going for? Because it, it's kind of on an official capacity right now, right? Yeah, that's right. So we want to really make our quest an annual event. So get an organized team of volunteers. Of course, anyone at any day can drive up and down Loch Ness, the banks of Loch Ness, and see something. And, you know, we speak to them every day. We're open every day. So we speak to people every day on on a hunt for Nessie, on a quest to find answers. But uh, as an organized search, we want to come together annually to, to try and get more eyes on the water, to try and get even more coverage, because there's a lot of it out there, a lot of area to cover out there, and see what are the new technologies that we can bring that, that are going to help help explain a bit more. I mean, we've even written to NASA to help us try and use some of their technology. You know, they're, they're busy looking for uh, signs of life in outer space. How about they can come and help us find signs of life mm-hmm. at the bottom of Loch Ness? So we're waiting to hear back from them. You're talking about this technology. Like, what do they use this technology for normally? Like, they're not creating like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna make this sonar model just to find the Loch Ness. Like, what do you use this for normally? Well, I I guess um, it's got its military advantages, doesn't it? In terms of being able yeah. to have the most up to date sonar tech. But again, uh, 
We had that tragic case of the submarine that went missing going down to the Titanic uh, earlier on, didn't we? And and again, I suppose we were reliant on technology for search and rescue, for helping us find things underwater, discover that kind of thing. So I guess it's got it's got all its different advantages and and uses. Yeah, in all walks of life. Do people go like? Is there like swim meets that happen in the in the, in the lock? Like you know, swim across the lock and that sort of a thing. Um, not so much across the lock. There's definitely a, a big rise in wild swimming in Scotland, not just in Loch Ness, but in waterfalls and lakes all around. I think that popularity seems to have grown exponentially over over sort of the past, probably since well, just before pre-pandemic, I guess. Uh, and and again, Dawes Beach is a really popular spot for wild swimmers to go and that's in fact where those latest uh, photos were taken from at Dawes Beach but it, it's a spectacular spot because you literally just look right the way down Loch Ness from from north to south it, it's beautiful there I mean like I said if, if you took me out on like a chopper and just dropped me like six feet into the middle of the lake and said swim back I can I can swim I'm great I would have a heart attack <laughs> <laughs> and like freak like myself out so badly <laughs> you're some yeah. faster <laughs> yeah. get me out of here <laughs> starting to, to wind down here paul i mean once again you're talking about so much history on this lake as far as what you could have and, and what it may be and there's a lot of different things that have happened you know studies and that sort of thing i mean i'm looking at operation deep scan from 1987 there was a search for Loch Ness monster by the bbc yeah. in 2003 you know you mentioned the dna survey survey tell us about the dna how can you try and find the Loch monster Loch Ness monster via dna okay so that was conducted by professor gamble who came up from uh, new zealand so we've got very good ties with New Zealand now. Uh, and they took different water samples from different spots around Loch Ness. But the way I understand it, and I'm no scientist, so this is my layman's terms um, trying to explain it here, is that they, they could test the DNA for, for known animals. So you could say, right, I'm going to test this DNA for salmon. And then it would come back and say, yes, there is salmon DNA in this water sample. All right, that's great. I'm now going to test it for an eel. Yes, there is eel DNA in this water sample, but 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 they couldn't find any reptile DNA. So they were sort of right. working on that basis to dispel the plesiosaur myth that that was in fact a reptile. But again, it's not an exact science in the sense of there are water birds like cormorants in Loch Ness that we see every day. You know, you can drive down to the banks of Loch Ness now and see a cormorant, but but their DNA didn't show up in the DNA studies. So so what else could be missing? But what other DNA exists in there that we can't explain? And I think that that just again continues to add to the mystery. But um, I suppose I'm not finding any reptile DNA was sort of putting the nail in the coffin a bit of it being like the plesiosaur mm -hmm. idea with it being a large reptile. Well, yeah. And that seems kind of maybe the most fantastic theory as much as, as much as we'd love to have a plesiosaur swimming in there, it would be so difficult to, to rationalize, you know, and, and, and explain But it's like you said, I mean, the, the, the um, coelacanth, of course, the, the, the fish that was caught 50 years ago that had been, believed to have been extinct since you know prehistoric times and suddenly they find this freaking fish that has yeah. been gone for a million years 
I always use that as an example. Like, who knows, right? Like, they found this prehistoric creature then. Who knows what else is out there that we can't find? Yeah, yeah. And I think that, in part, that 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 just continues to add to the mystery. In any of these finds, whether it's the celiacanth, whether it's a giant squid, it just shines more of a light on there being the possibility. I mean, we give out badges at Loch Ness Centre here. We give out Icy Nessie. So I think there's a big green dinosaur down there. I see nonsense. It's all a load of baloney. Or I see possibilities. And by far, the most popular badge we give out is this possibilities badge because people believe in the possibility of there right. still being something there. We just need to find out what the heck this is. Well, especially, too, when you, we just had the, the U.S. government basically admit that UFOs and UAPs are legit. You know what I mean? So I always say, like, when you're talking about space, I mean, obviously we can't, we can't honestly say, oh, there's nothing else in space. But you're talking about, you know, if you mention a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch in this immense forestry that covers the world. Or the fact that the world is 90% water and we just mentioned how big Loch Ness is. Yeah. You can't tell me, like, I can tell you 1,000% it's all hogwash. There's no way. It's like, dude, it's too big for you to know that. Yeah. To be able to say that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, the mysteries in within Loch Ness are... Uh, you know, I think even in a hundred years' time, we're still going to be finding out stuff about Loch Ness that we don't know today. But like I watched some footage of eels, baby eels, scrambling up the rock face on a waterfall at the side of Loch Ness. I've never seen anything like that. Never seen it. But these are these are small eels. They're not big, you know, six feet eels. You know, these are sort of this sort of size, sort of hand size. But they are scrambling up this rock face at the side of a waterfall. And it's just another one of these beautiful mysteries that Loch Ness has, has kept from us. But that's been happening for centuries, centuries and centuries. But no one's seen it with the eyes yet. Well, but like you said, okay, so so if there actually are eels, you know, and they're small ones, well, look at us as human beings. We're all pretty much the same size. And then once in a while, you get a dude who's yeah. like seven feet tall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So if there's like a, a little eel, then why couldn't there be their version of a giant eel swimming in, in the lock. Like, I think the proof that, that if there is the species there, then you can't tell me there might not be a giant one. Yeah, it's like maybe one in 10,000 eels grows to be giant, you know? So, yeah, right, exactly. Something like that, you know? So, yeah, I, I love that possibility. I really do. And I think that's one that can resonate. People can rationally think of that. Can't they? The way you've just explained that, you know, every so often right. you get a human that's, like, huge. You know, you could call right, him yeah. a giant or them a giant, wouldn't you? So... Why wouldn't you call this? And that's the thing too, like if, for something that's been going on since like you mentioned the fifth century in St. Columbus and that sort of thing, it couldn't just be one. Like if there was one yeah. plesiosaur that suddenly escaped, like there has to be a family of, of creatures that's constantly procreating for this to still be uh, even possible because, you know, 1930s, the monster's not going to be able to last, you know, 80 years into 2023 or 90 years. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Whereas something what one in every ten thousand somethings can grow to be giant proportions so yeah it's much easier one to hang on to i think that theory we were going through kind of the possibilities we mentioned the eel and we talked the greenland shark we mentioned the the, the wells catfish which is of course the giant catfish the one that sticks out to me that i'm looking at that's great is the elephant have you heard of that one the elephant just, just an elephant. Yeah, it said uh, a California biologist claimed the surgeon's photograph was the top of the head, extended trunk, and flared nostrils of a swimming elephant photographed elsewhere. Uh, they said that the, the, the trunk could be the perceived head and neck with the head and back for the perceived humps. Uh, they said traveling circuses might have allowed elephants to bathe in the lock. <laughs> <laughs> Do they have any idea how cold it is? Like I just said, five degrees out there. 
I think if I was an elephant, I'd be nowhere near that water. <laughs> At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, last few things. There's also the, the, the documentation of people that have seen Nessie walking across the roads yeah. that, are, that are surrounding Loch Ness. Kind of talk about that theory and how that could even be possible. So, yeah, you're right. There are genuine documented sightings that people have said, you know, something has passed in front of them on the road. So, um, we, again, that's what, part of one of the recreations that we do here of um, a motorcyclist almost running over Nessie uh, on, on the banks. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I think... Landside evidence that there's less of it. There's there's definitely the hoax stuff that we talked about, the footprints and things like that. Um, but yeah, I think uh, one one of the other mistaken identities, if I could talk about that, is is a deer, and deers do swim across Loch Ness. Not every day, not every month, not every year, but there are big stags that, and they're not the best swimmers in the world, but they will swim if they get the scent of a female will swim across Loch Ness and create quite a lot of wake and splash and things like that. But obviously, they'll then go on the land to, to go off and find the lady deer. So, um, so yeah, that, again, I suppose mistaken identity, one of a giant stag. If you've just seen one of those come herring out of the water, sure. maybe you've had a whiskey or two. <laughs> but that's the thing. I think when you have something like this, you know, with, with the legend that exists – people are more apt to say, for example, we were talking about just the lake, the water in the lake itself. And you were mentioning kind of some of the seismic gas or the, or the wakes that are caused by, you know, just the, the, the amount of water in there. You can see that sometimes. Like I was just at Lake Como in Italy and there is the Lorosaurus, which is the kind of the, the lake monster mythology that's there. And, you know, we're out on the, on the, on the boat and I'm looking, you can see like wakes that look like, yeah, humps you know what i mean yeah yeah and again one of the other interesting things we haven't even talked about here is uh the uh underwater currents at loch ness as well so um the the power in underwater currents the power of the water it can push objects against the flow of the wind so someone will say i saw something in loch ness now it might have been a tree or something like that a, a loose tree floating around but it was traveling against the wind direction. So it's traveling towards the wind rather than the wind blowing it down. How do you explain that? But there, there are these underwater currents. So if you imagine Loch Ness like a bathtub and the water on the surface is rolling one way, there's a layer of water underneath that that's rolling mm. the other way and creating these underwater currents. And they can create these waves as well uh, on the surface that, that just look odd and out of place because you think the waves would be going one way. So yeah, all, all again, fascinating studies that you know, we only really know about because we study Loch Ness. So you're saying that as the current's going on top, there's also kind of a current going underneath yeah. that's going to kind of cause a little bit of a yeah a blender effect, shall we say, that would cause things, waves and yeah. splashes and that sort of thing. Yeah, and objects to behave differently to how you would expect them to behave. Because normally, you know, if you see something on the scene, the wind's blowing one way, it's, it's blowing the object the same way the wind's blowing. But right. this, is, uh, this is a, creates that, 
optical, not an optical illusion because it's really happening. It, you know, it messes with your mind because you expect it to do one thing, but actually it's doing another. Is that something that's that's exclusive to Loch Ness? I've never heard that before. Uh, no, if you if you look at Seiches, Seish, or an underwater yes. current, uh, you'll you'll be able to read up a little bit more about them. But it's not exclusive to Loch Ness. But again, studies have have um, demonstrated that these underwater currents uh, do happen. Interesting. Yeah, I'm just looking at that right now. I didn't know how to pronounce that. Seiches. Yeah. Wow. So uh, last few things, Paul. So, so at the center, what is kind of your overall goal? Are you kind of, you mentioned that you're the keeper of, of the legend, so to speak, at the Loch Ness Center. What, what, what's kind of your overall mission to accomplish here with Loch Ness and with Nessie? Uh, I mean, we call ourselves the guardians of the legend, but that, that, I suppose we can lay claim to that because we are the birthplace of that, that story in 1933. Sure. Uh, but, but really for us, it's about, using our position to educate, to inform, to keep the mystery alive, to uncover um, the mysteries that are still out there. I mean, we're funding, you know, the, the hydrophone stuff. We funded that through, through you know, ticket sales or boat trip sales or whatever. So, yeah, we, we just find this a fascinating story. In fact, it's probably the most unexplained mystery on this planet right now. And it's an accessible one. You know, you anyone mm. can rent a car, drive up and down the banks of Loch Ness. They don't need a submarine. You don't need a boat. You don't need a helicopter. You can just come to Loch Ness. And, and I think that's what the appeal was for the volunteers uh, over the quest weekend that set up camp. Anyone could do it. It's such an accessible um, quest to be a part of. What did you say that you were funding with the ticket sales? So, so like things like the hydrophone experiment. So we've got our own boat, our deep scan boat, and that was used in Operation Deep Scan that you read about earlier on. Right. And we use that to go out and do the hydrophone experiments. We're not scientists here, although we do have scientists based in our building. So we've got Adrian Shine, uh, who was the founder of a group called the Loch Ness Project. So he was he spearheaded Operation Deep Scan. His laboratories are in the room next door to where I'm sat right now, and he's got all kinds of water testing kit out there and mm. observation equipment and all sorts of things. It's quite fascinating. What is the hydrophone exactly? The hydrophone's the underwater microphone. So that's the one we gotcha. dropped up on the side of the boat. But again, as technology improves, hydrophones become much more sophisticated. They can detect different sound waves, different sound patterns. So, um, so yes, hydrophones are a new invention, but we've just got better at using mm -hmm. them and, and interpreting the data from them. Last two questions for you. Is there, is there a sighting story that you heard that's your favorite or one that kind of freaks you out the most, enjoy the most? I get very fueled up by the, the new. I think the, the sonar scan one was a really exciting one because it's so real. Like we're using our technology, sonar technology. Again, it's not a new technology. It's found something as big as a transit van, yet it's not there now. So what is it? Now, someone said to me the other day, but Paul, it could have just been a transit van floating around underneath the sea, underneath the water, sorry. And I said, well, yeah, it could, but wh where is it now? Where's it been washed up to? Where's it sank to? Why have we not come across it since then? So I, I love- Is it transit van, like a bus? Yeah, like a school minibus, right. I guess. Something like right. that, you know, a, a sort of, you know, three-person van that you'd use to move home in, I guess. Something like that. So, yeah, uh, but uh, that's just adds to the mystery for me. And whenever anyone says, well, Nessie can't possibly be real. And I, and I say, well, I don't necessarily think there's a big green monster down there. Right. But, but there's all this unexplained stuff, and I just want to know more about it. I, I, I'm inquisitive. I, you know, got a keen mind.
Well, I mean, once again, like you said, just just to kind of uh, clarify this, a transit van, basically, like you said, like a small minivan, a school a minivan that you have that's under the water. The 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 sonar is detecting this, and then it, and then it's not there. So if it was a transit van <laughs> that was at the bottom of the lake, by the way, which is seven hundred and fifty yeah. feet down, it would probably be stuck in the mud and wouldn't be going anywhere. So there's something at least that big that's moving, yeah. which once again to me. That's a monster. Yeah, it's a monster. It's a monster minivan, or it's a monster. It's something, you know. It's a. It's something big. Go outside and do a parking lot. Stand next to a minivan. Imagine if this thing was a moving living Swimming creature. Next to you. <laughs> yeah, but oh, but it's just a fish. Like, <laughs> dude, I don't care. It's pretty freaky, you know. Uh, last question: If you had to take a guess on what you think this, what, what what Nessie may be, is there something that stands out to you that makes the most sense? Perchance, I, I, I've got to go back to the eel theory right now. I think that's where that's where my rational head is. Although having young kids, I just don't want it to be a big dinosaur down there. You know, I want it to be <laughs> the plesiosaur. Really want it to be that, and I'd love to just turn around to all the people that say it couldn't possibly be that. And say you were wrong. Of course, it was that. Yeah. that all along. But but you know, I think my rational head sort of steers more towards it being a a monster catfish, eel, seal. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. I always had this vision where they, they, they capture it and it's in a giant aquarium that you can go look at. It's just like, there he is. He's swimming around. Well, the Simpsons did that one. Mr. Burns caught Nessie yeah, in one of the Simpsons episodes. So exactly. I think he ended up in a casino in Vegas or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, it's been great talking to you, man. And I'm excited to see, because uh, you mentioned you want to try and make this an annual search every August yeah. or September. Come down and see what you can find. Yeah, you're going to come over for the next one. I will. I will come over for the next one. Once again, I'm still... Okay, I'm going to hold you to that one. It'd be fantastic to have you as part of the the quest. You might be the one that finds out what Nessie well, is. Well, I'll tell you what. I always have a theory. I'm going to be the first documented person to get uh, eaten by the Loch Ness Monster. So <laughs> I'm not going on. If you and I in a rowboat in the middle of that lake, forget it. Not happening. We're not doing it. <laughs> Cheers, man. Thank you so much. Okay. okay. Thank you. Take it easy.